line. I played that video for one line. And here's the line. There's one thing that dads can't do, and that is they can't give up. And the reason that they can't give up as from, the, from the heart of a child is because we need them. That's more of a cry than it is a statement. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to, to all of us, but especially the men here, on the importance that God has in a role in our life of uh, really reflecting his image in our world and the people God has placed around us. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah. We're walking through the story, a 31-week study of Genesis to Revelation in chronological order, and this is a unique Sunday because today is the last one in the Old Testament. And so chronologically with all the major segments, our look this morning at rebuilding the walls is the final one, and next week we are going to move into the New Covenant, the New Testament, the New Promise, all, those are all same words for the same thing. And uh, in this Bible, there are two promises, there are two covenants, or there are two testaments, an old one and a new one. And today, we uh, complete the old one. One of the things that is very disturbing <clears throat> are significant changes in our culture that are impacting the family in very negative and very destructive ways, especially when you consider in history that it is the uh, family which has been the foundation when the family has disintegrated, the nation has perished, and that is a fact. And so we see here a very disturbing fact that we are trying to fix our brokenness our brokenness in the family by redefining the family. Uh, it reminds me of the story. You probably heard the story of the. There was a, <clears throat> a guy that had a couple friends over, and they were looking at the barn, and, and uh, there were a number of targets uh, that had been painted on the barn, and each one had a bullet hole, and the, the bullet hole was dead center, right through the heart of the bullseye. And the guy that owned the place, walked away, and the one friend said, boy, he's a good shot. The guy said, well, actually what he does is he shoots his gun and then he draws the bullseye around the bullet hole. <laughs> so in our culture, instead of, when we, we, we miss the target, instead of re-aiming, we just draw a new target. That's what's going on in our culture. We are drawing new targets, and it is a, a very dangerous course that we are on. And so this is a challenge that faces us, and this is a challenge for men specifically in, in our culture. We're going to walk through the story again, as we've done each week, and we're going to look at this final one today. Very briefly, we started with creation. Everything was perfect. Then came the fall, the second act of this drama, which dramatically changed everything. Huge impact on your life today, the fall. Uh, it changed everything about life. It a, it's a source of all the struggle, of all the pain, of all the heartache. We wouldn't be praying for people in Charleston today had it not been for the second act of the story. 
And so we live in that fallen world, and what God has done is, and what we are seeing in the story is, I'll again remind you the bomb line, the extent to which our Creator God will go to get us back, to redeem, to restore, to, to bring us back into that relationship He intended with Him. And so we're looking at God's rescue plan from, a- from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and Esau and the twelve boys. Then the leaders he brought out like Moses and Joshua and the judges and the kings. And we're seeing now the continual disobedience of God's people and God has to continually punish them. And eventually they are taken captive by the uh, Assyrians and Babylonians and then the Persians come in and take take it all. And so as we come near the end of the Old Testament, we see that the rescue story, we're still waiting for the rescue. And Israel keeps falling back. Just when you think they're finally coming around, they fall back. I don't know if that sounds familiar at all in your life. But that's the cycle that I think if we're honest, we all deal with in our lives. And so this morning we move into the, chronologically, the very end, this section with, we looked at Esther and Ezra and and Nehemiah. Now in your Bible, those last three books chronologically are actually in reverse order. So we see that Esther happens first, and then Ezra and Nehemiah, in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book uh, together. And so we... We come to the end here, and we're going to look at at Nehemiah. Here is uh, the situation. The people were taken out of... Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. They're taken out. And then God worked in the heart of a Persian king to allow as many as wanted, and 50,000 came back, and they rebuilt the temple. Came and, and rallied around and rebuilt the temple. Then a few years go by, and another group comes back, and they settle in the area. But not a lot of people are living in Jerusalem because all the walls are still broken down. And so we see here that in this section now, there is a, a, a working of God in the heart of a man to restore not just the temple, but now to actually restore the walls around the temple and to begin to inhabit the city of Jerusalem. We see here that they are called to do a very important task, and that is build the walls. Now, walls are very important. We don't understand the importance of walls, but if if you would have lived in that day, you would understand that if you don't have a wall, you don't have any protection, and, and you will be captured by somebody. It even exists today. Last time we went over to Ukraine and we brought a, 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 a good, significant financial gift and uh, we asked them what they were going to use it for. They had a lot of works in their sanctuary to do and they said, we want to build the fence around, around the, uh, the whole perimeter of the church. And I know Chris and I, initially we had the, first, the same reaction. We go, what do you want to spend all that money on a fence? I mean, isn't church a place where you want people to come? Why do you want to build a fence around your church? Isn't that sending kind of a bad message to your community? 
But, but in Ukraine, if, if you don't have a fence, they will back up to your building with trucks and, and load things on and, and take them out. And so, and the, they were not allowed to carry guns. When we were there, there is a 24-hour-a-day watchman who sleeps in the church. That's what life is like in Ukraine. And so walls are very important. And they symbolized protection from enemy. And so we see here that these walls were, the Babylonians, who were defeated, by the way, their walls were 100 feet high and 360 feet thick. That's more than the length of a football field thick. So the Persians shut off the aqueducts which went under the city, dried them up and marched in through the aqueducts. Otherwise, they would have never gotten into uh, and, and defeated the Babylonians. So walls were critical. Nehemiah is the main character here. He's governor. He's been governor over Jerusalem. He was appointed by the Persian king to kind of rule over the area of Jerusalem. And now he's presently serving as the cupbearer to the king. Many of you know this, but a cupbearer to the king, whenever, if you wanted to get rid of the king, the most common way to do it was to poison him. So what the cupbearer did was, whenever they brought wine to the king, he uh, tasted it first, he waited a few minutes. If he didn't drop dead, you knew that the wine was, was okay. That was literally his job, was to taste the food for the king uh, to make sure that the king was not being poisoned. That was Nehemiah's job. We have him here in this situation rule it with the king. Ant Artaxerxes is the name of the king. And for all practical purposes, we assume here that Esther is, is the queen now that is on the throne with Artaxerxes and continues to have a positive response to the Jews. Okay, let's just walk through the story. And we're going to do this rather quickly. And uh, I, I want to read for you so you get the general gist of the story. Now the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the great exile are back in the province are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So we see here that Nehemiah is a long ways away, like 900 miles from Jerusalem. He gets word, some guys come through from Jerusalem. He said, how are things? And he said, they're terrible. People are in disgrace. They're shamed. Uh, the walls are in ruins. Nothing, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible. And Nehemiah is, is, he has a heart for his people. He cares about these people. And, and it tells us that he weeps and he, he goes into a time of fasting and he goes into a time of prayer. Uh, that's, that's his response here. And as he prays, it's a very productive time. In fact, I see four things happening here in this time of prayer. Number one, he processes his grief and sadness. It's a time to be quiet and, and, and just feel what's been going on. Secondly, he sees what the underlying problem was. 
He sees what the underlying problem was. And if you read through the prayer there, you'll find in chapter 1, he says nothing about the walls. He says the problem is that the people have departed from the ways of God. The walls are just a symptom. Broken down walls are just a symptom of the real problem. And so he understands it's not just about rebuilding the walls, but there's something much deeper And so we see here that he's confessing the sins of his people. Number three, we see that there's personal renewal in his own heart. In verse six, latter part, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. So this is a time of realizing what he has contributed to the problem in the situation. And number four, he comes out with a plan. In fact, you see it in in verse 11 there. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's this man? It's Artaxerxes, but... It doesn't reveal here, and evidently what happened during this time of fasting and praying is he came up with a plan. He's going to act. He's going to do something about it. He's not just going to sit and feel bad about it. He says, God, what can I do? And God gives him a plan. And so we see here in chapter 2, the first first few verses. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. This next line is, he says, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. You can just see this. Oh, God, please. And he answers the king here in the situation. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen, sitting beside him, asked, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, send me, so I set a time. So he goes, and and he gets in chapter. He gets to the city. We see here in uh, verse eleven. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I'd not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. So he he rides through the city and evaluates it, and he gets back. And, and then, this is his conclusion. Then I said to them, verse 17, chapter 2, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. So they set out to accomplish this task and they 
worked and they worked day and night with all their heart about halfway through. They began to run into severe opposition. People were trying to thwart their efforts. And so they had to set half the people to stand guard and fight and the other half to build. And they did this day and night. Day and night they worked at it with all of their hearts. And we see in chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. That's less than two months. And when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. So, they finished it. We see in, in, in this text that they had all the walls and all the gates and they signed different families and Nehemiah had it very well organized and they all worked together to complete not only the walls but also the gates. Then we find as, as you read through the rest of the, the second half, there's really two parts to the book of Nehemiah. There's the building of the wall and then there's a coming back and reading of the Word of God and realizing what it was that caused those walls to be broken down in the first place and what the people discovered as they heard the Word of God reading and they held their lot read and as they held their lives up against it, they realized the discrepancy that says the people began to weep and weep and weep as they realized how far they'd come from obedience to the God that had given them His decrees and His Word in the beginning. And so there's a great repentance on the part of the people and uh, they come together and, and they celebrate in, we see there in chapter 9 and really the, in the end of all of the reading of the word and hearing this, it says in verse 38, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement and putting it in writing and our leaders and our Levites and our priests are fixing their seals to it. They promise to return to following the direction of God as revealed in his word. So that's the story. It's a quick, quick run through of the story. But I want us to at least get the sense and, and <clears throat> I want to ask this question. Though. So what is, what is the upper story here? What's God really doing here and, and how does this apply to to our lives today? That's one of the questions that we ask each week about as we walk through the story. In terms of what God is doing, we see that God is again revealing His character. And what we see is that God is a God who rebuilds things, who takes things that are broken down and rebuilds them. I was uh, hanging out a couple weeks ago. I went with uh, Pat Gotham and I went up to the junkyard, hillside, Hilltop Junkyard, you know where that is? Yeah, we went up there to look for some, uh, Pat had wanted to work on an engine, and so we went up there and we were looking at different engines, and, and one of them that we were both kind of eyeing over was a John Deere tractor, and the paint was faded, and, and uh, there was some stuff wrong with it, and we just thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool to take that old-looking John Deere and do a fresh cone of paint and go through the engine and, and get, get it running and restore it, and then you could sell it. Um, he, he figured out that, that he'd probably get halfway through and then he'd spend the winter in his dad's garage, and that wasn't probably a very good idea. So we went with something a little smaller, 
And uh, I thought about my wife and a project in our garage, and I <coughs> passed on it as well. But here's my point. <laughs> there is something in us that likes... How many like to restore things? Do you like to restore something? I mean, what, where does that come from? To take something that... I'm not talking about cheap... I'm not talking about chipboard stuff from Walmart now. Any of you, you know, people don't refurbish chipboard tables from Walmart. They, we have in a, a dumpster out here. That's where they go. But something that's valuable, oak, hardwood, something that's old, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We like to take something that's valuable that doesn't look very good because we have a vision for what it could look like and we like to restore it. Okay, that, my point is this. That's the kind of God that we have. God wants to take people that are very valuable, no matter uh, how many old coats of paint, no matter how much junk is on it, he, he loves to take things and restore them. And so here he's restoring Jerusalem. As soon as the people are willing to respond, God restores. That's true in your life. As soon as you're willing to respond to God and open up and humble yourself and allow Him to work, He will restore that's just the kind of God that he is. And so we, we see that here in this story. God is a restorer, a rebuilder. And I think the application for us today, and, and what I want to just leave with you today and, and settle in on, is that God is about using us, his, his people. Not only does he want to restore us, me and does he want to restore you but he wants to use you to restore other people and other things and to redeem and to rebuild things in our culture that have been broken down and demolished by the enemy and let me tell you there's plenty of opportunity in our day to do that plenty of broken things Broken relationships, broken homes, brokenness, broken that. We live in a broken world. And, and God is calling us to be used to fix broken things. Let me just give you a little metaphor today. I'd like you to think of your life in terms of there's the temple, and there's the walls, and there's the gates. There's the temple, we see the rebuilding of the temple, we see the rebuilding of the walls, and we see the rebuilding of the gates. And that is metaphoric for something much deeper in each of our lives, something that God wants for each of us. He didn't just want the temple in the middle of his people of Israel, he wants the temple in the middle of your life. He didn't just want the, the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt, he wants walls rebuilt in your life, he wants gates fortified, and monitored in your life and mine. So what does that look like? Well, when we say that we want the, pre the temple of God, the temple of God represents the presence of God. And it represents the worship of God. And it represents a place where sacrifice is central. And so what that means is for us, that God's desire is that every day, central in our lives, Right in the middle of our life, central in our lives is the worship of God, the presence of God, and the acknowledgement of the forgiveness of God that comes through the ultimate sacrifice of Christ in our lives. That should be our primary purpose. We, we, most of us here, a lot of us here, have, we all have jobs that we do, whether you're getting paid for it or not. You have a job that you do during the day. 
But that's not the central purpose of our lives. The central purpose is to live with the uh, awareness and the experience of God's presence in the midst of our day, in the midst of our life, and of responsive worship to him, and to live daily with the acknowledgement of the the wonderful, marvelous, amazing grace of God through Jesus Christ that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. We get to, through faith, rely on the sacrifice of Christ uh, in our lives every day. So, temple is central. Then there's the walls. And I'd like you to think about the walls as God's design for your life, you know, Every area of your life, God has a design, and you'll find a lot written in here uh, in his word. The Israelites came, and they found themselves weeping because they realized that their lives were so far out of line with the word of God, and they also realized that's why the walls (coughs) were broken down. And so to rebuild the walls in our lives... (coughs) is to rebuild our lives around the Word of God, whether it has to do with money, whether it has to do with sexuality, whether it has to do with entertainment, uh, work, whatever it is in your life, to build those walls. And by the way, walls are built for protection. God wants you to be protected. And so we, we need to put up those boundaries in our lives that protect us from that which will corrupt and pervert what God has designed and how He has designed it. Uh, we live in a perverted culture. Pervert means you take something which had one purpose and you change it. You move it. That's what it means to pervert something. So that's the culture we live in. And so if we are going to rebuild our walls, we need to build the walls of our lives. Probably uh, what's going to happen when you do that, just like in the story, you're going to get opposition. There will be people that oppose you. They'll say what you're doing is foolish. They'll ask you why you're doing what you're doing. And they won't like what you're doing. And so we are called to rebuild the walls of our lives and bring our lives into accordance with, with the Word of God. And the third thing there is we also need to, to rebuild the gates and understand the importance of the gate. Because what happens at the gate is, that's where you monitor who you let in. That's where you monitor what you let in. And so think in terms of your own life personally. What do you let in? What kind of thoughts do you let in? What kind of messages do you let in? What, what you see, you know, what the people that you allow in at certain places in your life. And so... Very important that you monitor who you allow into the city. Think of your home. I challenge the men. Men, you you have ultimately the responsibility to beware of who's getting into your house. I'm talking about through your internet, through your TV, through everything else, through friends. What is, who is, who's coming in and, and what are you allowing into that home? The same goes for the church. You know, what, what do we allow into, into the church through the gates? What are the things that are useful from culture? What are the things that are dangerous from culture? And so we need discernment for that. And then as a nation, you know, what do we let in? 
And so we find the temple, the walls, the gates is really a metaphor for our lives. And so here's the point. God is about wanting to rebuild your life. And like Nehemiah, notice what he did. Now, I'll just, I'll just end with these. First thing he did was he realized what was going on. He realized what was going on. We need to understand what's going on. We, we can't be blind to, to what's happening. And uh, it's one of the reasons why we're doing, <coughs> excuse me, doing this retreat in the fall on sexual purity. Because we're not going to put our heads in the sand and uh, pretend that this problem does not exist and that it does not exist in the church. So realize what's going on. Secondly, we see from the example, this is a man who spent time, he got on his knees and he prayed and he fasted. Just keeping busy. We're not going to discern what's going on. I mean, this is several days. When was the last time you just took several days and, and prayed and said, God, show me what's going on in the lives of my, my family, maybe what's going on, you know, as leaders, what's going on in our church? You know, when do we stop and seek and ask God to show us what's going on? So we understand what's going on. We fast and we pray and we seek the Lord. And then it says, we see what, what he did was he had a plan. You know, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll show it. He'll give it to you. But then when he gives it to you, you can't be double-minded. You have to be willing to follow through and do something about it. And so Nehemiah here does something about it. He acts upon it. And we see that he's Lastly, he's steadfast in obedience to the Word of God. The way you maintain the walls and not make holes in them is to continue to live steadfastly in accordance with God's Word. Whenever we depart from God's Word, we open up holes in the protection that God has for our lives. Powerful message from the book of Nehemiah. Very, very appropriate to today. And... Uh, I just, I just challenge all of us in this way. You know, this week we had an opportunity to go out and to minister in our community. And we did a lot of acts of kindness and, and, and we did things. We were involved in rebuilding. We were. We, we built decks. We built, um, we built up things that were broken. We took things that were damaged and we fixed them we restored things and our goal in doing that was twofold one is we wanted things functionally to work for people to be aesthetic for people uh, that's a good thing but much more deeply than that we wanted somehow to communicate to people that there's a God out there who wants to rebuild their lives uh, not just their deck but a God who wants to rebuild their lives. And so that's our prayer. Uh, we're going to conclude this morning <clears throat> with just some, some visual pictures. Uh, I want to thank Dave for putting this together for us. People that took pictures that captured what went on this week. And uh, as you see these people, uh, just pray for them that, that God would continue to work in their lives. And uh, we'll watch this, and then, and then we'll conclude.